To ship, of course. Build engineering, DevOps, release management, and everything in between. It's time for the Ship Show. I'm your host, Paul Reed, SoberBuildEng on Twitter, and it's SoberBuildEngineer.com. And with me tonight is... Uh, this is Yusuf, at BuildScientist on Twitter and uh, BuildScientist.com. This is Seth, at CheesePlus on Twitter. This is Sasha Bates, at Sasha underscore D, at Twitter. Well, tonight, uh, we're going to be talking with Damon Edwards, the co-host of the DevOps Cafe. But first, as always, we do news and views. It looks like uh, Amazon had a big announcement. They launched OpsWorks. Did you guys see the announcement around this? I did. Couldn't miss it. It's all over Twitter. Yeah. It was unavoidable. <laughs> so can somebody tell me what uh, Amazon OpsWorks is? I mean, by the looks of the article, uh, it looks like some sort of a environment wizard. So you go through this you know, wizard to build your environment. It's a provisioning tool that they have released built on top of, I think, two-year-old Chef Solo. It's from Chef.9, I think, and from 2011 sometime. That's what I know. And so it's are they. Old. <laughs> well, it's so really they, old. So are they expecting then, I mean, so, so you can basically use this to provision a bunch of EC2 instances quickly, or...? Is that uh, this is yeah, this is like for building stacks and like orchestrating like a stack build of you know different different layers. I mean, it's it sounds really good, but the fact that they're using such old Chef is scary. So, so here's a quick question: If they're using uh, a version of Chef that's that old, I mean, are there restrictions on the cookbooks in terms of like are they going to work? Are a lot of the common cookbooks going to work? No, or, or really? no, they are. They're no, they're are. not going to work. <laughs> so as long as you don't deviate from whatever Amazon gives you, it, this is a lot like the was it Right Scale that was doing their own flavors of Chef, or maybe it was Rackspace. One of them they had their own flavor of Chef that you could kind of use to provision stuff too, but it was heavily flavored and um, very idiosyncratic. And I think the same. Same thing. If you deviate from whatever AWS gives you, you'll be sad. Well, it sounds like too a lot of the community work that has been done won't you won't be able to leverage that if it's if there are restrictions on those cookbooks. Oh, a Two lot versions of the, behind. The you know they, they a lot of the cookbooks have just been updated recently for the latest Chef Eleven release. So mm-hmm. their like minimum version that they work with is like ten dot eighteen or something like that. So they're all. It, a lot of the community stuff is out of bounds now. Huh. Well, out of bounds. well, we'll have to keep an eye on it. Maybe, maybe this was uh, just a one kind of one push of of OpsWorks to get it out. Certainly, I can understand you know getting something shipped to get it out there, uh, and maybe they'll quickly follow up with a two that has a current. Yes, version but how long have they been working on something to get it shipped if it's two years old? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. We'll we'll have to keep an eye on it and see if they they do an update. Speaking of of cloud-based services and sadness, (laughs) Azure apparently had a problem. Some of the headlines are that should never happen. Apparently their storage, they had a storage outage that was due to an HTTPS certificate expiring, which I kind of find amazing and amusing. People always forget those. It's it's surprising. I've seen organizations come really close to having this happen, like major organizations come really close. Like... Within like the last day, somebody's like, "Oh crap! I remembered and got it renewed." You know, with with hours to spare. Yeah, yeah. I've I've actually seen this with Authenticode certificates where somebody failed to put that on the calendar or whatever, and you go to do a release, and it's like, "Oh, you can't sign your binaries." Sorry. Yeah. How I go, hard is I... this? How hard is this? I mean, but a calendar reminders are not a 21st century tool. Well, I think you know the, the one. Hard. The one thing I actually thought about when I read this article was that doing management of things like certificates is not sexy, but it's one of those things. And, and clearly, we've all had experiences where it's almost expired or has expired. It's one of those things that I think because it's not sexy, people don't tend to really 
like dealing. It's like they'll think, you know, it's one of those things. If you have an ops team or a DevOps team or, you know, a release engineering team of five people, somebody will get that, right? Or I've actually had this, Seth. You were saying you put it on the calendar. I've, I've been in a situation where it was on somebody's calendar, and they happened to be on vacation for two weeks when the calendar notification went off. And their notification was a couple of you know weeks in, in the future for them to get the certificate. But when they got back from vacation, they just kind of delete all inbox mail because there's so much. And it got shuffled that way. So my point is, is that this reminds me of sort of one of those things that because it's not sexy, it doesn't tend to get operationalized, which I think is something DevOps kind of as a movement focuses on that, but sometimes, I mean, this is one of those things that's easy to miss, and apparently Microsoft missed it. Maybe this is an opportunity to for somebody to build some sort of notification, you know, surface. That they make those, does. aside from calendars. <laughs> oh. So when I was a consultant for a bigger company, and we were, we did uh, managed hosting, we had a vault where we put everybody's SSL certs with dates and reminders, and it was part of, like, remedy. I mean, how much more 20th century you want to get with this? Well, like I, like I said, I think this is one of those things. I agree. Like, this is a solved problem if you choose to solve it. And it's one of those things that I think there's probably, this is one of those things where there's going to be a process now, I'm sure. Somebody probably got in trouble and it's going to, they'll figure out how to fix it. But it is one of those things where, unfortunately, every it seems like every organization has to learn this lesson the hard way true. before it's they true. get it. And what's funny is that in Microsoft's case, I'm sure a bunch of divisions have learned it the hard way. And now the Azure division has learned it the hard way. And so it's kind of, you know, I don't know. It's not super surprising, but it is. I mean, it's surprising, but it's not, like, shocking. I'm well, betting... and if we, if we look far enough back into the history of stuff and... There just weren't that many people using AWS when it was in its infancy, right? I'm sure they had problems like that. It's just that, you know, <laughs> now that cloud is a big deal, everything is much more scrutinized. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, you know, the flip side of that is you would think that cloud-based services, whoever they are, whether it's, you know, Heroku, AWS, Azure, would have people that would be dealing with that because that's what you pay them for, right? You pay them to run that infrastructure. And it's not like SSL certs on a, on your personal website that are blowing up. It's like, I, I don't get this. SSL certs on the, the SAN, like, <laughs> I don't get what's going on there. But, but you expect them to manage that, and that's what you're paying them for. So, eh, whatever. I maybe mean, they'd already what? fired the guy who was responsible for that. Maybe, and, uh, maybe. That's the real problem. Maybe. Well, there's also yeah, that like, could be too. That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe it was a handoff between teams. I've seen that a lot, happen a lot of times where a team hands off something to somebody else, and then they never, there's the, there's that drop of communication that no yeah. one tells them that, hey, you, you want to check that cert expiration date, and people just <laughs> never think about it. And they're like, oh, well, they obviously solved that problem, right? They're going to say something. Right, right. Well, and Sasha's point is a good one. Maybe somebody who was responsible for that, like the, an example I gave with vacation, you know, the person that, who thought about that, maybe they left for greener pastures or they got fired or whatever, and or right-sized, downsized, whatever, and it's one of those things nobody asked who's... <laughs> Who's got that covered? So well, everyone it's everyone kind of assumes that that's, that problem is solved, and that's the part of the problem. Is and everyone, yeah, everyone, it's no the assumption. Like, yeah, everyone's like, oh, of course, somebody's somebody's obviously taking care of that. Somebody's got that. Yeah. So exactly. let this be a lesson to you out there in listener land. <laughs> Take care of your certs before you embarrass yourself. Yeah, everybody, do a cert inventory right now. Pause the podcast wherever <laughs> you are. Seriously, on your it's phone. so worth it. <laughs> And our last news and views tonight's uh, just something kind of fun. The 
patch notes for The Sims. Somebody posted the uh, release notes for a patch to The Sims, and uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. But some of them that I thought were funny are Sims who are on fire will no longer be forced to attend graduation before they can put themselves out. Sims can no longer <laughs> woohoo in the elevator with a Sim who is on a different floor. And I think my favorite fixed an issue that caused Sims to leave their toddler inside a bar at closing time. <laughs> No, no, so my favorite, fix the tuning issue so that Sims now vomit at acceptable levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we thought we'd include that. It, it's it's fun when you get the opportunity to sort of have a little fun with the release notes. And Seth, you probably have some stories. From- There's, I had a lot of fun when, when working on like the Star Wars games where you could like, you could, you could post humorous patch notes. Um, and so... <laughs> At some point, we just, you know, after the game had been in production for a long time, it was really fun. Like, we got to post enjoyable, like, humorous patch notes all the time. And I, there's there's a lot of fun when you get to do that. Um, yeah. Just having fun with your community stuff. Um, well, so here's, I, here's the one that I found, you know, more, most uh, uh, comical. Pianists will no longer continue playing pianos that have been detonated. Why would anybody <laughs> want to detonate a piano? <laughs> I think I learned a lot more about playing The Sims from the release notes than... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This well, game actually, far more intriguing than I thought. Yeah, yeah, you could do things I didn't know. Yeah. So actually, we'll put a call out. If, if any of our listeners have release notes that, that they can point us to, definitely tweet us. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll retweet them. That'd be fun to take, take a look at. So next up, uh, we're going to put Damon Edwards of the DevOps Cafe through, uh, well, I think, what Sasha and I came up with and called it the curmudgeon gauntlet. Uh, next up on the show. Welcome back to the Chip Show. I'm Paul Reed. So I'm joined here today by Damon Edwards, the principal at DTO Solutions, a DevOps consultancy. But you probably know him better as the host of the DevOps Cafe. Welcome to the Chip Show, Damon. Thanks. Happy to be here. So I'd like to start with uh, the traditional question you always ask. Sure. Um, how did you come to this thing we call DevOps, and what's what's your history? Walk us through that. Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I thought you liked that. <laughs> yeah, I always ask people that. I always surprise them with it. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be surprised at it. So, uh, yeah, my career started, um, actually, I was pre-med in college, and I got into working for just randomly through, I was an SAT tutor, and went to happy, <laughs> went to happy hour with these people that were like, yeah, I don't think I really want to go through with this. I was like a junior or something like that. I think I really want to go with this medical thing, and, and they were like, well... You know, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, you know, this internet thing seems really cool. And they're like, we got an internet company. It turns out it's called Software Networks, and it was an early ISP. And I'm from Los Angeles, and I uh, got involved. With those guys got way into the internet and really started um, consulting. It was really kind of like a network engineer, ops guy in, in training, and uh, just got heavily involved with a lot of their clients, just figuring out, hey, what are other folks doing? You know with this new internet thing and how they make it work. There's a lot of movie studios, uh, a lot of uh, adult content uh, <laughs> sites. Anybody who could afford a high-speed co-location back then, um, it was, the, the list wasn't that long. And definitely um, they had scaling issues to deal with. Yeah, Th- but I that mean... That industry has it's, you know, yeah, scales. Right, I mean, but at this point, scaling was like, I think uh, like ValueClick was one of their one of their early customers. You know, I mean, I remember they went to 50 servers and it was like, you know... How do we manage Insanity, yeah, exactly. Like, wow, these guys are the biggest thing ever. So... Um, 
Yeah, and from that, it just kind of uh, led to sort of one thing after another, and um, most uh, before, and then basically leading to uh, starting another consulting company. We did um, some uh, uh, ISP management tools like DNS management and other things for uh, kind of early, early, early ISPs, and then from that. I was actually uh, randomly consulting for uh, some venture capital guys. Got to see the world, got to see a lot of really cool companies, sort of help people sort of be that technical to business bridge through uh, both the investment side and, and the post-investment side. Through that, met my DTO co-founder, Alex Honor. And uh, yeah, so ever since then, we've been really, the problem we were originally trying to tackle was the complexity issue, that the world was getting complex fast and things were kind of heavy and, and were deep. And you know these applications started to resemble networks, started to resemble actually kind of these living, breathing organisms, right, as complex systems. And so how can you configure and manage and deploy those complex systems? That was really the original, the original sort of problem. And that got us into building things like Control Tier, uh, that was a sort of early open source attempt at, uh, at this problem. And that was really before Puppet and Chef and all these things came along. I think uh, Puppet was sort of starting out at the same time, and we're going to some early conferences with uh, with Luke, and so really put all these all this stuff in a box, and it got to be you know kind of really this kind of you basically replace one complex monolith with with uh, with another, and uh, through that we sort of realized that the main problem these companies are having is really not the complexity problem anymore; it's it's the speed problem. They aren't able to move fast enough. Like we've gotten our arms around configuring a complex thing, but we can't configure and change it fast enough. So it's a different type of scale. It's a yeah, scaling it's a, problem. Right, exactly. It's a different, a different type of scaling problem. And so, you know, we've been really been talking about this stuff for, for for a number of years, and we really, we call it the dev two ops problem, right? It was the development to operations life cycle. Right. All these names for it that never really <laughs> stuck. And then, uh, you know, Patrick Dubois, um, you know, first coined the term DevOps. And uh, I remember watching him organize uh, from afar, organize the first uh, DevOps days in Belgium, and something just clicked. I'm like, yes, that's that's it. That Suddenly, a lot of people around the world said, yes, that's that's the problem that we're that we're seeing. That's the problem that we're trying to uh, that we're trying to solve. So I'm not sure if that was enlightening to anybody, but that's kind of where I came from and how I got to this problem. And really, I mean, we've been spending the last ooh uh, seven years now really tackling this problem in various ways for different kinds of companies. And we've had this, I think, unique position of, of looking at, you know, seeing this problem from all of our clients are some type of web-based operation, people who build and operate revenue-producing services for either internal use, like some large banks, right, mm-hmm. or exter- external use, folks like, uh, you know, Zynga or, um, you know, Williams-Sonoma or Cisco WebEx, folks like that, right? So really we've seen it different places, different ways over and over and over again. And that's really, I think, kind of distilled out a, a body of knowledge for us around what, you know, falls under the, the DevOps umbrella. So a large part of our business today is conducting workshops and trainings and helping these companies understand, you know, what's changing about the world and how to align their organization to take advantage of these new these new ideas. And then also, not to, not to stray too far away from our roots, we do a lot of automation consulting and pretty proud of the uh, the Rundeck project, which um, almost all of our automation consulting now is around uh, is around that. We, you know, customers who want us to either further develop Rundeck or help them use Rundeck in their in their organization. Okay. Well, so from the DevOps perspective, mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like you're the person to talk to. A lot of our listeners are actually, we, our, our slogan is uh, release engineering, build management, DevOps, and everything in between, right? So we have a right. lot of build engineers, release engineers that are kind of coming to this DevOps thing and kind of scratching their head and have a lot of questions. Sasha actually 
I said, oh, go talk to Dave and he'll be able to explain this stuff. Because my background is actually more on the release engineering sure. build side of things. And so, you know, to that point, I was actually discussing this whole kind of thing with a friend. And he was saying, at this point, I'm under the impression that DevOps is culture, not technology. You discuss both uh, on DevOps Cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just interviewed Jeffrey Snover. And I was listening to that podcast. That was a lot about technology and a little bit about culture. But other yeah. shows have been very culture focused. So sure. how do you describe it when you're going into an organization to clients and they're kind of like just explain this to me yeah What's well the- so i mean i think you know devops at its highest level i think people try to distill it down to a specific design pattern or a specific methodology right which i think is unfortunately what's happened to agile right agile's got distilled down to you know scrum you know oh, we're agile yes we follow scrum and they no one really knows why they're doing it or what they're actually doing or even what the benefits are or when they see a benefit, why it even it even happened? Why you do it? Right, and I think DevOps is sort of is risks falling into that down that slippery path as well. But I think you know, at, if you look at DevOps, it's really just an umbrella of problems and potential solutions that are aligned towards a business goal, which is all of these organizations. What's different now, and, and, and I think we're going to have to come up with a different word to classify different types of of IT. In the past, IT was always something akin to facilities, right? It was this cost center that was necessary to the business, but it was, it was a supporting thing. And it was, hey, you know, here's $4 million. As long as you deliver on the strategic projects that you said you're gonna deliver on, and the CEO's desktop keeps working, and the company has email, I'm not gonna say anything to you. You can have your, you know, your black magic and wave your hands and you know, be antisocial. Doesn't really matter. It wasn't integrated. Right, just keep the lights on, right? Much like your facilities, you don't really care about really what goes on inside your janitorial staff or inside the, the plant management staff or inside, as long as the power's on, the AC's on, the mail gets delivered, the offices are clean, things are, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of not to denigrate one freshman or the other, but, you know, that was the management view, I think, of technology. Very functional and not. Right, yeah. right, for, for, you know, for a long time. And, and I think, you know, there was parts of that that were core to the business, but it was much more like an external service, like, hey, you know, just... I don't care about this thing changing fast. I just always want to have my email or I just always want to have my desktops or the file server has to be there or I have to be able to process credit card transactions. You know, now the difference is, is that that IT function has become the means of production, right? It's become the factory floor that these businesses are actually building and, and operating their companies on. So just before like the CEO cared about how the, the factory ran, CEO is now going to care about how this new IT plant runs. You know, how, how, how does, and that business process that we're all a part of is really can be broken down to I've got an idea and I'm going to have some kind of customer outcome, right? So if you look at all the business you know, books today, it's all about, you know, how can you learn as quickly as possible, right? The companies that can innovate the fastest and can learn the fastest and can continually please their customers. That's kind of the lean thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it goes, it's everywhere. I mean, it's lean, it's Six Sigma. It's, I mean, this is just sort of the one of those, one of those revelations of business. Everyone from you know Jack Welch talks about it to go back to to you know Deming and Ono and the you know, Toyota production system. This has been a constant in business that agility wins, right? The ability to to get the better idea to market faster, please the customer with what they want at the price that they want to pay. So now we're saying that's what's going on and IT is stuck in the middle. IT is the transformation process that takes that idea and turns it into a customer outcome. Well, if we follow that old model of IT, which is we have these functional silos 
that go across that life cycle. We've got dev doing their thing, we've got ops doing their thing, we've got this QA people sandwiched in the middle, we've got this release guy that runs back and forth and tries to get everybody to play nice. They're all fighting with each other. Right. It doesn't that it, that's not gonna cut it when we're trying to to make this process as fast and reliable and cheap as, as possible. So really look at going back to what is DevOps, it's this umbrella of, of problems saying there's all these bottlenecks and inefficiencies and risks that live between those two things. Business decision, you know, customer outcome, right? How do we remove those bottlenecks, risk, and inefficiencies so we can get the customer what they want as fast as we can at the cheapest price point possible, right? So really DevOps is just saying the new world, this is the world we live in, what are all the problems that live in there and what are all the ways that we can extract those problems? So how, what are all the countermeasures we can do to extract those problems? So, you know, and I think how you get at that, there's really sort of three levels you have to work at it, right? I mean, one is, it, it is a culture issue, right? And really by culture, we mean organizational behavior, right? What's the programming of the organization? You know, why, why does, when people make their individual decisions, why are they making that decision? Uh, you know, part of that is, is process, right? We have to know what is that end-to-end process that's going to get us as quickly and reliably through that life cycle. And then there's the tool part, and you can't extract the two. I mean, the tools are the artifact of that. I guess you'd say the process is the artifact of the culture. The tools are the artifact of the process. So you really, you need all three of those things. I mean, it's just it's business. So all three of those things go into making a company great. And you see the ones that are high performers in this in this space, you know, kind of the DevOps poster child, at least the ones that will talk about it. It's a combination of all three. They don't they don't really separate one from the other, but you start with the, with the culture. That informs why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Then once they all know why they're doing something, when they see what the goal is, get an idea, turn it into a running feature, then the process falls out from there. And then once you have the why you're doing it and, and you know the process you want, then the tooling part is just straightforward, straightforward engineering. So a lot of people say, you know, the culture is the hardest part to talk about. And you just sort of identified, you know, the culture is the why. Is that part of the reason culture is hard to talk about? Because um, the why is the hard part to actually disseminate to 200 engineers or 1,000 engineers or to, yeah, to have well, that conversation. I mean, culture is hard, right? I mean, culture is kind of a soft and squishy. It, it feels like a soft and squishy thing. It's not hugs. Too, Right, hugs, <laughs> hugs and beer, right? That's, 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 you know, I gave it my DevOps days in Rome talk was, you know, there's a joke slide that said, let me sum up every DevOps culture talk to this point, like polar bear giving a hug and a pint of beer. It's right. like, that's, yeah. that's culture. And that, that's really not it. I think if people should call it, you know, organizational behavior, I mean, that's really what we're looking at. You know, it's why do we do the things that we, that we do? But that's more syllables. <laughs> it is. It is. And, and I think it's actually a problem is that it's one of those things that I think a lot of people in the technology world don't value. So as a culture, we don't value, oh, that's the business stuff. That's that motivational rah-rah like stuff. It's not, it's not science. Like we're all about hard science and, and technology. Even in a lot of our personal lives, right? It's kind of the geek culture. Like what, you know, right. what lives? It's science. It's toys. It's robots. Right. It's, you know, it's look at this cool thing. And even when we pay people, we... Oh my gosh! You know, you know everything there is to know about about Oracle. You get three hundred fifty dollars an hour, right? Oh, you're a, you're a process guy. Oh, what are you like, business guy? Ha 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 ha. Analyst. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're an analyst. Ha ha. Right. You're a junior guy. Like you aspire to be me someday. Right. Uh, when the reality is, if you look in other industries, look at like the manufacturing world, right? If you know everything about the Flexatron three thousand bumper welder, you're a repairman. Right. Good on you. Right. Now, if you know how to design and organize and run a factory. Like you're, you're an executive, you're on the path going somewhere. The other one, you're, you know, you're just a, you're, you're a union shop guy. Now, not to denigrate those jobs either, but I think if you look at what people in our industry, 
you know, see themselves as. I think they need to understand that if, unless they're willing to invest in, you know, the organizational dynamics, behavior, unless they, unless they understand more how they're integrated into the business, they're doing themselves and their and their career a disservice. And I think these organizations, if you look at how they hire, they hire for people who want to understand how to better help the factory versus people that just want to be the you know flexitron bumper welder three thousand repairman. There's a diff- there's definitely a value judgment being placed on on I think a lot of these hiring practices. And that's and that's when you see that people who do understand that, you know, they can write their own ticket and go where they want. So that's actually an interesting segue to one thing I wanted to talk about. At DevOps Meetups Conference DevOps Days, where do you see people that describe themselves as DevOps engineers? And I had a question about that too. Yeah. What are their backgrounds? Where do you well, see people coming to so, this from? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard because at first I was pretty adamant against like, it doesn't make sense. The word the DevOps as an engine, as, as, a, as a role doesn't make any sense because it's like saying, you know, you don't say I'm an agile. It's like, no, I'm a developer. Oh, I happen to know all about, you know, agile development practices and understand development, agile development processes. That's great, but you don't call yourself an agile. So I think it, it's a bit of a bizarre misnomer. And, and I think not only that, so there's, there's, there's that part. That's part one. Part two is... There's a problem with creating a man in the middle position. We'll get to this in a in a second, but it makes it someone else. There's a cultural, there's a human behavior thing. It makes it someone else's problem. Like I don't need to worry about quality. That's QA. QA will catch that. I don't need to worry so much about security. Security will catch that. Like uh, some data issue, I'll just push it. I'll just push it down to the database layer and you know, let the DBA take care of that, right? And I think when we say ah, you know, there's a DevOps person out there, it's theirs to worry about. It's not. It's not something I really have to have to worry about. So I think it kind of it pushes responsibility away to make you know to try to say there's a DevOps person. Plus, it, it, it's it's an extreme. So I guess it's point three here. It's an extreme anti-pattern, which is I'm creating an extra step in the middle that doesn't add value for for my customers. If I'm saying DevOps is about integrating, DevOps is about making that life cycle as short and agile and reliable as possible. Why am I adding? another party in the middle that's going to make that process even longer. So there's always reasons why I was like, ah, that's, this, is, this is a terrible idea and it just rubs, rubs you the wrong way. But then I realized there's also, there's another human aspect to it, which is self-identification. Categor- right? Categorization. Yeah, it's just, it, it, I knew, and now what really changed my mind was I saw people in their hiring practices. Just by using the word DevOps in a job title, <laughs> Yeah, it was amazing how it, the self-selection and the, the automatic screening process that it put people through. Like some people said, yeah, that's me, please. I want to do this DevOps thing. Other people said like, I don't know, what's DevOps, right? And it kind of, or they just ignored it because they thought of some weird thing that they didn't want. DevOps. Want, right, right, <laughs> want to be part of it. What's the DevOps, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so in that way, I'd say, hey, it's, I understand there's a practical side to it that I get. And I, I totally understand now when people want to put in a job title, I understand now when they want to, you know, kind of use it as a, as part of their name, all my original concerns are still there, but it's one of those things that for practical reasons, I get it. I see why. I think the issue is, is you still have to be careful of, it's how does an organization view that person? If you want to say from the outside, like, yeah, I'm a DevOps engineer. It's like saying, yeah, I'm an agile developer. You know, okay, great. You go to a conference, self-identify as that. But if your organization understands- it's agile. If you're the you only agile guy there, it doesn't- Right, when you're, when you're in-house, when you're in, when you're in their house and sitting in your desk, you're just another part of the team, right? Then okay, that's fine. So it's just an external way to, to identify and to say, hey, I'm part of this tribe and to, you know, to help hire people and make that connection, then, you know, no harm, no harm, no foul. 
So when I talk to a lot of my colleagues that are, come from a release engineering background, build mm-hmm. engineering background, there's a there's kind of this undercurrent of sort of frustration. Actually, one of one of the people used the word they were actually bitter about this. That mm-hmm. you know they've been saying we need configuration management, we need version control, we need to do these sort of best practices, and and oftentimes they would get stuck cleaning sure. up that mess. Mm-hmm. And DevOps has really sort of said this is just the way you do it. Why would you even ask? What of course, we're going to do configuration management. They've really made inroads right. in that. So, so why do you think DevOps has been able to sort of crack that conversation or just kind of make it like, well, duh, of course we do that, where, yeah. where sure. people that have been doing this for 20, you know, 15, 20 years haven't been able to make that make sense to, I guess, the business or... Yeah, well, I think in uh, it's a couple. there's a couple things in there. I think number one is, uh, I think because DevOps is finally, it's finally business aligned, right? It's aligned towards a goal. There's a why there. And... If you look at traditionally, why were startups so fast and scrappy and big companies slow and plotty? Big companies had more resources, they had just as much motivation as everybody. In fact, better. I mean, you could, you could not only do you have job security, but, they, but you can also get you know, showered with riches if you can innovate and come up with new stuff. But a big part of that is that the five people in a garage are all 100% aligned towards what has to happen, right? All they care about is we know 100% what our goal is and we're going there together. And there's and everyone shares responsibility. Everyone share. Everyone's part of operations. Everyone's part of. Even if you're not a, even if you're not technical, you're part of operations. You're part of development. You're part of marketing. You're part of that. It's just one team getting getting uh, getting stuff done, and you're aligned towards a very crisp, you know, business goal. Right. The larger the organization gets, you start to fall into these functional silos. Right. Well, it's just okay. Let's kind of think about mass production here and say, let's put all the developers together. Let's put all the operations together. Um, let's put all the release engineers together. Let's put all of the QA together, right? Or better yet, let's just send the QA off to some low cost, or right short, to some place cheap in the world, and who cares? It's cheaper. Throw it over there. But the reality is, you know, what happens there is they've completely lost sight of what the business goal was, which is we are here to deliver a working service to our client. That's the whole point. It's not to, we're not here to write software. We're not here to test software. We're not here to release software. We're here to actually provide a running service to our client. And, you know, when people are focusing on their job and their this is human nature, they get, you end up with a disconnected process. So now with DevOps, everyone's aligned towards that process. If you're doing it right. Oh, yeah. I mean, if yeah. you look at, I mean, you can, you can call anything, you know, anything, anything you want. But if you look at the companies that, that sort of hold themselves that people hold up there as as examples, right? Look at Wealthfront for for, for a good example, right? I mean, that's you, know, you can tell they're aligned towards this process. Everything is purpose built, aligned towards kind of a single singular purpose across the organization. So now I think it's just these people talk about this. why because these companies they need to recreate that magic. They need to recreate that five people in the garage magic and, and scale as they go. So now with DevOps, you're aligned towards this, and now. You, you start to, to understand what's necessary and what's not necessary. So, and this is where I think a lot of the, uh, probably you're going with the release, release engineering, they start to feel squeezed. Because if you think about it, you're like, well, hang on now. If my, my shortest path from business idea to, you know, to a running feature for a customer, well, what are the things that are necessary? I got to write the software and I got to run the software. Well, why not have the developers write software that runs? Why do I need this extra release management step in the middle? So I think that's where a lot of that, that thinking comes from is people start to rethink what's necessary and what isn't necessary. Not to saying that the concerns that went into release engineering were not there. This is the same as happening to QA as well. Not to say that the, that the concerns that went into QA weren't necessary, 
but just saying how can we rethink this process to make these these steps as as short as possible and realign responsibility. So in that process, people said, yeah, hey, before I'm a developer, I don't care so much about release engineering. That's your problem, right? That's your, you know, I look at my, 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 my card, it says software engineer. I write software. You look at your card, it says release engineer. You release software. So here you go. Here's a pile of crap I wrote, you release it, right? I wrote my feature, you know, arms folded. You know, maybe it wasn't always that that rude about it, but that's the idea. And then operations. Hey, pager goes off three o'clock in the morning. Hey, man, your operations, not me. You answer the pager. That's why you get paid. If you don't want to answer the pager, you should become a release engineer or a developer, right? I mean, this is this is that kind of you know natural sort of blame shift and blame shifting that that happens. So I, I think it's really this that new alignment towards a common goal that that yeah these best practices hey maybe agile you know operations goes hey maybe agile actually was a pretty good idea after, or the agile ideas are pretty good after all hey you know maybe what that what those release engineers were going on and on about for for years maybe that's actually a pretty good idea hey all that automated testing that QA folks smarter QA folks were talking about hmm, maybe it's a good idea too so why don't we actually put these things to use and redesign re, redraw our world to achieve our, our goals. Well, so that actually leads to a great question uh, that I want to ask. I mean, aren't developers always optimizing to ship their code? I mean, is it, if you're a developer, that's yeah. that's what you want. Now, a lot of people talk about, you know, developers sure. get bored when their feature never gets shipped or doesn't get shipped right. for six months. And that makes right. sense, right? Doesn't that present, though, a problem where there needs to be some sort of coordination at the business level about when features go? I mean, if you've got... Well, so there's, there's, two, you, there's, yeah. there's two problems there. I mean, developers have to realize, like, well... Again, this is going to what kind of what kind of IT are we talking? We're talking about you know all these conversations. I'm talking about you know some kind of web-based service, right? People who are building a service that serves a customer and makes the company money somehow, right? And for those folks, you know, writing software is not the purpose of the company. Operating a service that delights the customer is the point of the company. Development is essentially supplying parts, right? They are supplying the parts necessary to make that service run. But it's not about optimizing their behavior. It's about optimizing the experience of the customer. So the idea that for a developer, for them to move things quickly, they want to, they should be writing software that's built for operations. The quickest way to get a developer's output into running operations is to actually have them create software that's ready to be operated. So it almost sounds to me, you know, a lot of people that have been work, have worked in support roles, so release engineering, QA, ops, right, right, for a long time have been in the position of what you're saying. You know, whatever the developers do is great when they throw it over the wall, mm-hmm. deal with whatever they throw over the wall. Right. That's your job. Right. And you're kind of saying, you know, actually, everybody is part of this same team, same goal. And so the developers need to sort of, you know, work with the ops people. Mm-hmm. So it's not this, we're throwing over the wall. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's built for manufacturability is, is is would be the the manufacturing analogy, right? It's like, why do you go to a car show and you see a prototype car looks awesome? Then it comes out five years later and it looks like crap, right? Because unfortunately, you know, that car was unmanufacturable in the state that it was. So you end up with this kind of design for, design for manufacturability. You get componentized systems, like no more, hey, why are we shipping this, you know, 17 seat parts to Ford? Why don't we ship seat the Ford the entire you know Ford one Ford's get a, a specialized supplier to provide them with the entire seat the seat belt the whole thing ready to go plug it into the car you know and you can share it across product lines and whatever 
Now, obviously, you know, this is not a one-to-one analogy with, with, with the world we live in, but it is that mindset of, of design for, for manufacturability. So yeah, there's definite, just like the business has functional requirements so it has to be seen, the business also has these, these operational requirements or non-functional requirements, which we used to call them non-functional requirements, but then we realized the word was a bit quirky. It's like, you know, we're all about running a service. So we have requirements that are non-functional. non-functional right. Yeah, that's Bro- like, wait, broken requirements. Exactly. Right? Let's just call it what it is. It's like, let's get plain language. It's operational requirements. To, to operate this service, we have certain requirements we need, we need to have. And some of those could be the ability, scalability, you know, configurability, uh, reliability, right? But a lot of these things are just the standards that we need to push throughout the entire life cycle. So just like business is coming one down one side with these are the functional requirements I need, there's these operational requirements that need to be met. And deployability and configurability, testability um, are all major, major parts of that. And a major kind of part of lean is the idea of, you know, pushing responsibility closest to the source. Right, some people call it pushing the pain forward. Right, it's like if you don't have developers, what a de- like like this is an interesting one that we've seen quite a number of people settle on. We actually espouse, which is if the build doesn't deploy, it's a broken build. So you know whether you're doing you know continuous uh, you know delivery, continuous deployment, or or whatnot, just the idea of if every check-in you know should be able to build and not just run through smoke tests, but actually deploy to some some test environment. You can't actually, if all the deployment pieces aren't, aren't in there and it can't be automatically automatically run, then that build is considered just as broken as if it wouldn't compile. Because at the end, again, we're not making software, we're making a service. So if the thing doesn't run, it's broken. So it's that, it's that, that change of mindset, which is what this, that culture aspect of this is, is, is all about. So it sounds to me like a lot of times, I think, you know, I was saying that Earlier, for certain people in the industry are sort of frustrated and bitter or whatever. Yeah, but and well, what are they frustrated or bitter about? I mean, what's the what's the? Well, I mean, the, in that in the example in the friends I was talking to, they're talking about you know we've been talking about configuration menu forever and sure. and, and right. And so all I was going to say though, it sounds like basically what you're saying is that that's actually the wrong way to look at it because what you're basically saying, if I'm hearing you right, is that you're kind of saying everyone has to sort of level up in terms of developers have to kind of. Yeah. You know, learn how to, to make deployable software and testable software. It's not about oh, everyone has to sort of. Well, so I, I, I put it this way: if you've been saying something for years and nobody's listening to you, and suddenly somebody else says it and everyone listens to them, what did they say differently than you weren't than you weren't saying? I mean, is it really that everyone's out to get you? And, and, then, no. and it could be, it could be, but I, I've heard this before and it's kind of like, well, hey, you know, the, the, the difference is, yes, it's all the same. It's like this, I heard something about the cloud too, right? Right. The cloud, uh, you know, everyone just, ah, oh, hell, is, you know, we've been, I've been trying to tell people to go virtualize for years. What's the difference, you know, harump, right? Well, the difference is. <laughs> yeah, that, actually, I've heard that too. Yeah. yeah. It's an alignment of ideas and no idea is brand new. I mean, there's never, this idea, there's a lightning bolt from the sky that just makes it all makes things new and it rarely ever, ever happens. I mean, maybe academics will say it never happens, but these are all built on previous on previous ideas. And if you look at even how a lot of the configuration management was used in the early days, it was kind of used in much more in a campus LAN IT setting. Like I'm, I know there's a state I want to have my system in. It was static too. Yeah. So like set it up and then it's set up. Right, uh, yeah, there's a state and I always want to make sure that it comes back to that state. And maybe I'll change things, but you know, in general, that's version 1.0 and it's gonna come back to that state. And if one if somebody changes a printer driver somewhere, I wanna go back to that, that previous state. And that was the problem. The problem was somebody changed something that's bad, right? To so how we're applying configuration management now, where it's all about change. It's how fast can we change? The faster we can make change happen, the better. 
So now it's configuration management as a driver of, of change, as an enabler to make us change faster versus continuous management before as an enabler of, of stability, of anti, anti-change. I'm sure Mark Burgess, if he hears this, will, will wring my neck for, for <laughs> total mischaracterization of, of both sides of it. But it just sort of feels like you know, things are different. So I think what's different now is I, I would tell the people that feel like, I don't know why they'd be upset, because they should be like, hey, now that everyone's listening to you, bring all those lessons you've been learning for the last, for the last five years, bring them to the party, and just realize that why people are listening to you now is because, or should listen to you now, is because that the world's changed. There's, there's different ideas that were out there before, and the nice thing about the DevOps umbrella is it kind of aligns us towards, gives us a mental model to which we can snap in all these parts. We can take things from Eric Reese's Lean Startup and things from the Agile Development Movement, and things from you know, the configuration management you know, wars, right? And, you, you, and now we've got a reason to kind of see where they all fit together. And you're like, hey, this is, now we're getting somewhere. We're getting, we're getting, we're, we're getting a system and we're getting a sort of mental model to, to, to tie these things together. Well, to answer your question, you know, I was thinking about it. I, I think one of the things is that you had the release engineers and to some extent QA, they were in silos. So that conversation was happening developer to developer, maybe development manager and release engineering manager, right? right. But you didn't have this sort of um, business understanding that the faster you move, you win. And yes. this is how you do that. And so then you had people, you know, at a higher level, at a, a CXO level, right. a VP level coming and saying, this is how we win. I bought into this, so right. you need to get behind it. And, and so I think actually what happened was exactly what you said, the world changed in the, the level of that conversation. Sh- you know, well, shifted. This is, this, I said, right. this is now the factory floor. This is right. the means of production. Before yeah. it was like IT was there to support the means of production. There was some other business out there and right. IT just made it better. Like we, we got rid of all the paper or we enable the robots to move a little bit faster, right? right. And there was, you know, everyone, all the sales guys can look up their, look up their sales contacts and go call, call people, right? I mean, that, uh, you know, business, uh, IT was, was, was the support system for the means of production. Now it is the means of production. It is the factory. This is, this is the business. So for, you know, this, why the CEOs care? Because they all came from another business where they had absolute visibility, absolute control and precision. And now they're like, whoa, what is this? crazy, who are these people coming up from the basement and saying, I don't understand, this is too hard and too difficult and you know, you're know you being crazy and you can't ask us to move this fast. Well, now we, and we all thought that was true, but now we've seen from all these examples that that's not the case, that you can move faster and be more reliable and do it cheaper. It's like better, faster, and cheaper. And people are doing all three. So, so let me ask something, because you said this a few times. You said you made reference to web service. We're, build, we're building customer service, you know, service for customers, right? Right. How does this apply to native software, where you're shipping installers, you're shipping yeah. stuff? Well, I, I think... shipping it, mobile apps where you can't... I mean, sure. The app store will not let you deploy every app you build, right? Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I recently had this conversation but, with someone where... So, yeah, but, but, but I mean, time to market and quality is still a fundamental concern. Right. right. So, whether what's your actual? And this is, I think, one of the one of the things we kind of fall into. Right. Is the I I can't learn from continuous deployment because uh, I can't deploy all the time. Right. Okay. That's that's a business. Const- there must be if you that's true. There is a business constraint that stops you from doing that. Such as the Apple App Store won't let you, you know, submit things every every five minutes to to the store. Okay. There's that's that's still that's a constraint that we have to deal with. And we need to design that into our process. But what about all the other inefficiency and waste across that process? How can we make sure that, that we are able to make that as short as possible? So these lessons can be pulled out of these examples. 
and can be applied to really any, you know, it's really any business. So, okay. And if you are in that campus IT, you know, land management business, then you just get cool new, cool new, new tools. So I wanted to ask a little bit about this. DevOps, and this comes up from time to time mm-hmm. in, in conversations, sure. seems to be a bit generational. And so what I mean by that is a lot of times when you'll see people talking about it, you know, there's this like kind of huge use of memes like X, you know, X all the things with the, you know, you've seen that, right? And the, the you know, people will have the little, uh, did you, you remember the little girl with the, you know, the house is on fire and the girls smile. Oh, right, right. Works and works on my desktop sort of. Right. You know, there's a lot of uh, and presentations yeah. or sure. little cats and, sure. and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So another aspect to that is a lot of times older people are actually devalued. And, and what I mean by that is yeah. people talk about the crusty Vax admin and we actually had a, a, a bit about that where we were making sure, a joke. Sure. You know, people talk about, well, you know, those people are over 45, so they don't have anything to say about this, right? Or, you know, so, so right. my question is, do you, do you think this is a problem or an issue? And yeah, it's always, you know, the ageism issue is, is always a, uh, it's always an issue on both sides, right? That there's people that say, ah, you know, that there's people that fall into their, this is the way it's always been. Get off my lawn. Right. Type people. And then there's people who, you know, there's people who are, you know, oh, what the hell do you know? And I think it's uh, the technology industry being a, be not being a, uh, it's not, not soft in a people first industry. <laughs> right. Yeah. And a lot of. And we're not known for our social skills as yeah, an industry. It, it, right. <laughs> it, it's kind of the issue where a lot of people don't go into tech, into technology business, you know, for the social, the social life. Right. It's, it's, it's. And it's because you have a passion for technology. So I think you know there there is that totally unproductive, irrational um, actions on, on both sides. But you know, as as uh, uh, John Willis uh, puts really well, that you know, he talks about how he climbed through thirty plus years of just IT muck to finally like come out and take a shower and have a good time. And you know, he feels like that's this time now. So he understands that the young generation, you know, the kids that are just out of college that are saying like, screw that, like. I'm going this way. Like, wow, they have nothing, nothing invested. There's no, there's no, they, they don't have any skin in the, in, in the game other than to say, Hey, I'm looking at two options here. One looks painful and ugly and the other looks fast and awesome. So I'm going to go with a fast and awesome way <laughs> and not the painful and, and, uh, and, you know, quote unquote old, old fashioned way. I think the unfortunate thing is that because of that attitude, what a lot of them don't see is all of the hard fought truth that, 30 years in the IT muck has taught people. So if you go inside, you know, some of these large banks, I mean, the, the, the amount of knowledge and experience in running high volume transactional systems is it's incredible. And, you know, they know why things work, the science behind it, why they don't. And then there's a lot to that can be pulled into that conversation. And I think the way that the DevOps movement is perceived is a bunch of bratty kids that just, like, for example, this whole irrational rant against shell scripts. Shell scripts suck. The world runs on shell scripts. It's the lingua franca of operations. It's when you're when you're when you're yeah when you're at a command line, you're typing things out. You're basically thinking and writing in shell, right? Right. So yes, are there problems? Yes, but it's just like saying if you use Java without a framework, you're going to have problems. Ruby without Rails, you're going to have you know there's, there's there's problems everywhere. So you know there's design patterns to do things right, and it's really it's it's tool independent. There's lessons to be learned, and there's and there's knowledge embedded in all these systems and all these people that needs to get invited to the. Uh, 
Well, so key party. Yeah, and I want to bring it up because it, it's interesting, you know, DevOps does focus a lot on culture. And so there's a lot of you hear this, do we have women at our conferences? You know, what's yeah. the behavior, right? And talking about inclusiveness and all that kind of stuff. And then we, we have this outlier, but not, not the old sysadmin guys. And so do you, have, you know, do you have any kind of thoughts on ways to improve that? From not, a not community perspective, not really. Other than calling it yeah, out, yeah. I mean, I, we, you know, this is. I've actually never really seen it. Maybe, um, maybe I don't. I don't maybe it's. I see it sometimes it's, it's, on, it's my on Twitter. Own. Twitter is yeah, Twitter by yeah by I mean, its nature, right? Right. I mean, human human nature laid bare is always a little bit. When no accountability is always a bit ugly, but I don't think I think I, I think the DevOps, at least the DevOps days, and sort of the kind of core of the movement, I think, is very. There is no core. I mean, it's not an organized core. Just the people that gravitate towards the middle and do, I think, some of the some of the best work and are most passionate about it. It's uh, all comers welcome. I mean, if you've got a blog, if you're you're on Twitter, if you can, you know, submit a talk. I mean, there's nothing stopping anybody from from participating. And it's unfortunate that, for whatever reason, that there's whether they're perceived or real, that there's these kind of you know cultural biases or boundaries that are that are tough to break through. And I know you're, you know. Uh, you know, Sasha, your colleague and, and co-host, you know, she's mentioned it too. And I, I've become more of aware, aware of it through, through talking to her. But then, you know, you do have, you know, Sasha Bates and, you know, Mandy Walls and, you know, people like that who are mm-hmm. just fantastic. And I hope that maybe it's just, you know, more women will see women like them doing a great job and say, Hey, you know, like this is, I'm not intimidated to speak up. I'm not intimidated to go to a, an event where it's, you know, 95% Men, I think right. it's getting better. I think yeah. as as you'll see it, I think I think you'll see that you'll see that change. I think that's the whole changing face of the tech industry. And I think as technology is becoming that factory floor, that means of production. I think you include a larger group because it's people who see technology as a tool to achieve an end, not just people who love technology for the sake of technology. Well, to communicate through a meme, right? It's kind of Wheaton's Law, Will Wheaton's Law, don't be a dick. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, right. I think a lot of DevOps people agree with that part, right? right? And so it's... it's it's. I think so, yeah. yeah. You know, and also, there, there's also another problem with just the the conference culture in general and the, you know, sort of the Tumblr, yeah. Twitter... Uh, of the DevOps sort of, reactions type, well, right, animated GIFs type. Yeah, know. is that, you know, being a showman gets often gets more attention than having great ideas. True, and that's a problem in any. It's yeah. a problem, and, and you can't really fault a lot of the conference, you know, organizers because it's like, well, we need to put butts in the seats, and if you can't make something entertaining, then no one's going to want to come to this thing. Right. So, what do you do? So, yeah. I think this is all stuff that will, over time, will correct, will will correct itself. And if Sasha has anything other <laughs> disagrees with that <laughs> with that sentiment, I'm sure she'll be the first to. Uh, oh, I'm sure. To she let will. me know, and you can you guys can read all about it on Twitter. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, uh, DevOps seems sometimes skeptical of, of what I call big P process. Do you think do you think that's true? Uh, what do you mean by big P process? Well, so, you know, a lot of times when somebody says, we need a process for that, people all kind of roll their eyes and go, oh, right. we don't need a process, right? Yeah. And so you'll talk sure. more. So not, what do you yeah. mean? Uh, no, not the real, the real DevOps. Not the people, that, <laughs> not the successful. I mean, so I, I, I just look at what, you know, patterns of successful companies, right? Mm-hmm. This goes back to the Toyota production system. And people misunderstood the idea of why you standardize work. You don't standardize work to make people robots. You standardize work to enable experimentation. So if you don't have a standard process, you can improve, right? I mean, one of the, we haven't really talked much about kind of getting into the, the principles and sort of what makes this stuff work, but the, the notion of continuous improvement, you, you, want to, you want to basically, if you look at that end-to-end process and say, how do we get rid of the bottlenecks, the inefficiencies and the waste, right? We're looking for, 
in Japanese terms, the muda, right? What's the what's where are these uh, these ineffective? Where, where, where's all the waste happening, right? You're gonna have to spell these later for the show notes. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is all classic lean stuff, right? And then there's like you know the the Murray, which was, was muda Murray and and Mura, three words, but. Basically, it's 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 waste, it's unreasonableness and un- unevenness. And how do you know what you're going to improve if you don't know what the actual process is, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the first things we always do with clients is actually get on the whiteboard and get a stakeholder from each part of the process in the room, somebody who actually knows what actually goes on, right? Not just what PowerPoint says, what actually goes and goes on. And you actually do you, you you create what's called a value stream map. You start from the customer. Don't start from a developer, start from a customer and say, okay, a customer picks up the phone either to, I mean, you know, that phone can be metaphorical. It could be, you know, Facebook, no one picks up the phone, but there's some indication from a customer, either I got a problem or I want something, what happens? And then you literally trace this entire circle through the feature request process, to the business, to how they select things, to back to, you know, down to the developers, to, to what, go, and basically each step of the process all the way through back to when you have a feature running that, that the customer that the customer sees request fulfilled right and when you do that everyone looks back and goes oh my god like i never really realized that's what happens here I mean, it's with, without fail and it's like there's well, a lot of times too you have two people that think they understand the process and yes yeah. and, and they're like they're totally, that doesn't yeah. happen and they're like yeah yeah i do it every it day actually, that's, that's actually yeah. what happens <laughs> yeah and so you look at that and you're like my god okay so now let's actually start to break down where are these bottlenecks happening you know what how much time is spent Processing time versus lead time. How much of this step is actual hands on the keyboard or brain engaged doing something? How much of it is waiting around time? You know, where are the errors happen? Where's the thrashing happen? Where it's like, hey, your box is ready. Oh, great, thanks. You log on, you're like, this is all wrong. Oh, I mean, right. Yeah, that's 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 called scrap, right? That's 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 no good. You either have to do the work yourself to fix it, or you throw it away and start over again. Just like in a manufacturing, you know, process, you're the next person in the line. I'm stamping out, you know, whatever the part is. I give it to you, and it's like, clunk. Uh, wait, it doesn't doesn't right. go together, right? Scrap, toss it away. Great, mass production. Well, I've automated it though. Well, great. Now you've got 600 pieces of scrap to to deal with instead of one. So the importance of the process is number one is so everyone knows what's first of all what's happening, but it's to align their improvement. So it's like, all right, well, day one looks like this. Wow, it's a big spaghetti mess. What do we want it to look like in the future? And we keep you know, that process of continual improvement. Well, without standardizing the process, we have no baseline on which we can improve. Then, you, then the only way improvement happens is if somebody kind of from up top to sort of make some large proclamation to let's get better. Versus if you have a standard process and something that, that Toyota was famous for, that they drove the idea of standardization and, and people saw it from afar and said, oh, wow, just, you know, Japanese workers are a bunch of automatons or a bunch of, you know, how miserable to be, have this standard process where like your desk is laid out and you're this whole workstation and you're supposed to take two steps this way, pick up the part, turn to your left, put it in here, pull this down with your right hand. Like, you know, how horrible that is. But the reality is from inside the system, people loved it because they knew that was a standard process. And then you were encouraged to say, come to your team with a better way to improve that process. And if there's five people on a team and all five of them have a way to improve that process, they've got a baseline that they can talk about. So standardizing process actually enables experimentation and improvement. And the idea there, and Eric Reese says this more eloquently than I, than I do, but basically says that what you then is you're then enabling an organization of scientists. You're saying that you know, I'm now I'm able to, by standardizing the work, I can now create this, is this, this experimentation across my organization where people can then try to tinker and change things and compare it to the baseline and figure out a better way to improve. And the organization improves. So process is a, 
understanding the process and standardizing the work and the process is essential to improving. Otherwise, you're just shooting in the dark. Well, and you were saying this, it pushes all of that down to the people doing it, not somebody four levels of management above yeah, saying, exactly. we can improve here and there. Right, right. right. In fact, that's, that was kind of one of the funny uh, things about the you know, Twitter production system. They said, you know, the point of life is not to work hard. The point of life is to be effective. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I don't want to see people sweating. I want to see them, you know, sweating less. I want to see them actually being creative and bringing all that creative energy to their work, not to just see, you know, can I just drive these people you know, in, into the ground? That's not successful. Well, and so one other thing, would you agree too that I think a lot of times process was here's here's a, a document on a wiki mm-hmm. and that's the process, right? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing this movement towards infrastructure as code and that sort of thing where there is a process, but it's actually codified in shell scripts or whatever. And the yeah. point is, is that you can improve upon it because it's actually runnable or in the infrastructure. It's true, case, it's true. Right? But, but then you also have to worry about another thing there, which is, you know, this is where this is one of the problems with the kind of the release engineer uh, switching hats to DevOps engineer. They say, I love insert configuration management tool name here. Pound their fist. This is what we're going to use. Well, they go tell all 200 developers, you now have to learn Ruby or you now have to learn this X or Y or whatever it is. In their mind, well, I've created this great standardized thing for the organization. But from the organization's perspective, they're like, was that really the best, the best course of action there? Is that really, first of all, is it realistic that I'm going to get all 200 developers to learn to write things in this language? Is that even part of their, is that even the best way, best way to utilize that? Are my operations folks going to understand what that is? Are my, you know, if I'm going to have support or QA or you do all these things play into that. So you have to be careful that if you focus on a local optimization, again, it's just back to the process. Are you actually optimizing the whole? Of course, yes. If everybody did it your way, then there would never be a problem. <laughs> right? I mean, that's that. That's an easy. Thing, that's an easy thing to you know to say. Just just reality in life never works that way. So we have to be very careful. And this is, I think, a place where the DevOps movement can get itself into trouble. Is just tell everybody else you might, if you do it our way, you're right. Don't do it our way, you're wrong. And that I think creates a lot of bad blood because if they actually looked at the end to end process and the goal of the organization, that may not be the easiest way to get the most effective result from the organization. I'm not picking on configuration management, uh, but I just hold it out there right. as it's one of those truisms like, should you use Chef or Puppet? Yes, right? That's the, that's the answer, right? Which one's better? Well, you know, you use one, doesn't matter. Use both, who cares? But the idea is that if you, <laughs> well, if, actually, if, if, if you aren't optimizing for the organization for the whole, then you are doing it wrong. And it doesn't matter and because you led with the tool instead of looking at the process and saying, how can I make this end-to-end process is simple? I mean, simplicity is one of the most underrated improvements out there. Yeah, that's true. What's the famous Einstein quote? Make it as simple as it can be, but no simpler or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think also people forget that simple doesn't mean that you get rid of the requirements. It's the most simple way to meet the requirements. Right. Right. That's the critical thing. You're not sacrificing quality. You're not sacrificing whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. It's what is the simplest way? What's the, what's the most effective way with the least amount of you know, complexity to solve the problem? So are there any industries and, you know, software is in a bunch of industries these days. So software industries, I guess, that DevOps is not good for, do you think? 
I mean, no, I don't think it's not. I mean, that's like saying, is there any kind of business that Lean or Six Sigma or uh, Theory of Constraints, whatever, is not good for? No, I mean, I, I think it's it, well, it's there's lessons to be learned from all these things. Well, then let me give you a hypothetical because somebody sure. was asking about this. Uh, actually, the quote was something like, uh, well, again, I don't, I I don't, like, well, hold on, like, what is DevOps? Like removing the bottlenecks and inefficiencies and risks in delivering your work? Well, you know, so so I think I think who's going to lose from that? The the quote was I don't hear anyone talking about DevOps in writing nuclear power plant software, and the reason they said mm-hmm. that is because DevOps is about high rate of change as quick as possible, sure. and if there are mistakes, you can redeploy or you can yeah. roll back. You can't roll back a nuclear power plant meltdown. So that was that was the point he was right. trying to make. So so okay. how would you address kind of that? Sure, sure. So um, what are the what are the DevOps takeaways for a nuclear power plant? Yeah. I, I'm not saying there aren't any. I'm just no, yeah. no. That's that's that, that's totally fair. I mean, but the the thing, I, well, there's all those two things. There's different cons, there's a different set of cons, constraints there, right? So example like NASA. I heard that oh, that's a good one NASA has five testers for every one developer. Yeah. Nobody, nobody else can afford that. It's just it, it's it, NASA it's, can't afford that anymore. Right. Right. right NASA can't afford that anymore right it just doesn't it doesn't happen so but those are different realities that they're trying there's different set of constraints on their world the point of a nuclear again this goes back to the why the point of the nuclear power plant is not to to innovate as quickly as possible to to maximize shareholder value right that's just not the that's not the i mean you look back to what the why is why is your paycheck being signed right what is this company there for In, in a kind of normal corporate environment it's about you know maximizing and protecting shareholder value Right. Well, you know, all the business thinking is that those that innovate quickly and can continually please their customers in in an increasingly effective and efficient way are the ones that are going to, that's the best chance of maintaining and and achieving that shareholder value. Well, nuclear power plant's a totally different thing. The why you're there, you're there to as safely as possible generate this kind of steady load of power. So you unpack all that and come all the way down, that's going to impact the kind of software development process you're going to have. But if you look at the things that DevOps discussion under that umbrella, things like continuous delivery, right? right? Well, what's important about continuous delivery? It's not how fast you can turn the crank. It's the confidence within which you could do it. So if I'm a nuclear power plant, I'm looking at that notion of an immune system that the continuous delivery world has come up with to say that I don't think about it as a release, right? I think about it as I have a running system and I need to protect that system at all costs and I'm going to shoot change at it. And that change has got to go through this automated gauntlet of tests. And I'm empowering my entire organization to write tests. I'm teaching developers to do test-driven development. I'm teaching operations folks. When they do their five whys at the end, step six is write a test, right? I'm teaching QA people not to even do QA anymore, but to be nothing but thinking about what are new ways that I can break this, this system. That's the value they add. So you flipped it all on its head, and now I've totally rethought the tooling and the process and the thinking and the sort of cultural alignment around testing. Well, I'm a nuclear power plant. I sure learned from that. There's a lot of body of knowledge now that trans- transfers over to me. So it's making safe change. So if the maximum amount of change that they, that they want to make is, say, one per year, well, why not have all the best practice and knowledge go into that one, 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 crank. one turn of the crank per year? But, but what are all things I can do? Maybe I'm actually doing continuous deployment to a test environment. Maybe I've got some environment here and I'm always have this running system where I'm, I'm simulating the load of a nuclear power plant and I'm constantly pumping change in that thing to see what could possibly break it learning. So anyway, I think it's, again, if you lose sight of why, what DevOps is, you know, why, the why of DevOps, it all falls apart. If you understand the why, you just shift the why somewhere else and all the things, all the things follow. So you mentioned this earlier. Are you concerned that DevOps, quote unquote, is going to be watered down like Agile 
Well, it, I mean, it's inevitable that all things <laughs> that all things all things become a Gartner white paper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, I think that's I saw she Gar- mentioned that, so we were laughing about that. No, it's true, and I think Gartner's actually, you know, uh, Cameron Haight and I think the Gartner guys are actually doing doing a good a good job. Now, unfortunately, I think their business model makes them have to sort of live out on Enterprise Island. Well, they're they, translating, right? To, they're, 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 right. They're, they're translating. It's difficult for them to give back to the community because it's like, what's the, you know, what's their, you know, the sales guys get upset, right? I mean, you know, I remember was it the community was a year or two ago. I mean, Gartner was having their infrastructure and operations conference like in Florida the same week as Velocity was happening out here, and somebody joked, might have been me, but like, well. <laughs> You know, the best thing they could do is buy everybody there a plane ticket to Velocity. Like that would, like you know, like like it's ironic that half the topics they're talking about is aside aside from Windows purchasing cycles is about the stuff that they're dying to know what all those companies there's walking the halls at, at Velocity are are talking about. Right. But at the same time, you know, Gartner does a great service to the world, which is it tells the CIOs where they should align their align their budget. And when Gartner said that. A lot of these things that people thought they're going to get out of IT, I didn't really don't see DevOps as an ITIL replacement, but they told the enterprise that a lot of the dissatisfaction from the ITIL spend, people might find satisfaction by looking into what the DevOps movement has to offer and even gave some one of their Gartner shady you know, percentage kind of, uh, there's a certain, some probability that a certain amount of money will be spent in this year. When they said that, suddenly the enterprise started looking at DevOps. Their inter- the CIO budget suddenly said, "Ooh, I'm going to carve something out here and go figure out, go go buy some DevOps, go figure that right. out, right?" Well, and, and, and that's a great thing. I mean, that that right. put a lot of interest and a lot of energy and a lot of money and a lot of people's time looking in, you know, from from these big companies. All that all that kind of latent knowledge locked in these big enterprises is now going. Ooh, that's interesting. I've got the, the the signal that I need to go look at this. And for that alone, I mean, I think Gartner's done a and you know, folks like you know, also Forrester, and then before them, the four five one group, and Jay Lyman, and for them, Michael Cote, when he was at Red Monk, you know, they've all done, I think, a great as analysts, a great service to the DevOps community. Right. Well, and that's an important point, right? A lot of industries and the way that their governance mm-hmm. is structured, right? They mm-hmm. need the permission to go look in the space, right? Right. And those organizations, even though we all kind of make fun of them from time to time, whatever, they're just trying to look at at what is snake oil and what's not and distill the real part. So, I mean, sure. it's it, ma- it makes sense that there can be a virtuous cycle there when they say, okay, yeah, then they, they go buy some DevOps, as you said. Right, and, and, and you know, and at the end of the day, it's like those those organizations that are doing, that have distilled Agile down to kind of a half-assed scrum, like, you know, is that, is it such a bad thing? I mean, hey, this is the fact that you see big, big enterprise, you know, big companies that they get everybody together for, you know, 20 minutes every morning to talk about what they're going to do that day. Is it the worst thing ever? You know, no, there's some, there's some virtuousness there. And, you know, and as time goes on, more and more will seep into what they do. So, yeah, maybe I'm a bit more pragmatic or I'm a pragmatic optimist, I guess. You know, yeah. You could say that. So I have a question for you then. So you you identify yourself pretty heavily as a release engineer. How do you see the role of what your role and your career path changing when it, when it comes to DevOps? I knew you were going to do this. You're so used to asking questions. You're going to have to. Well, no, this is because I feel like we've gone almost an hour and we haven't, we haven't asked the pertinent question to the ship show, which is like, yeah, what what, what is the, you know, whether the nature of, of, of release engineering? It's a really good question. Um, and in fact, it, it's interesting. There's a, I mentioned this the last show. There's a release engineering conference where they're just looking at release engineering stuff. And so it'll be interesting to see if they kind of bring DevOps in or, or how they kind of, what their take on it is in, in the academic space. I think when you were talking, I, I really liked your answer about 
nuclear the nuclear power plant and and that class of stuff and i was thinking to myself and this is actually my last question for you i think those are actually sort of greenfield opportunities in terms of release engineers so so first of all i think and i've said this before the fact that devops has made it okay to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. um and yeah. sort of is is great and and i think that actually helps us and and right. and in the conversations i've had with colleagues where it's like i'm a little bitter about this it's like yeah i'm a little bitter too but we need to kind of get over it we get to talk about the stuff we love talking about more mm-hmm. uh, and people are actually listening so that's great um i think there's a lot of industries that like you were saying are struggling with continuous delivery some are even struggling with continuous integration still right right and a lot of these are not the they're not web services they're hey we're putting these devices on in pacemakers we're putting them on hospital gear we're putting them on cash registers we're putting them on right all of these things and i think that they can benefit from a lot of the ideas but it's not a slam dunk translation right right and I think that's a, lo- a large part of the problem. A lot of the clients that I work with are doing not web, you know, either combination web service and client uh, installer application, right, that you have to go download or you get yeah. on your phone or something like that. So there are those limitations there. Mm-hmm. And they'll talk to, from the DevOps perspective, and it's like, well, we should ship every client that we build. And there's a conversation about, well, no, you can't you know, you update. Yeah, everybody hates Adobe Flash updates, right? right? Imagine if we got three a day because that's how many builds a day, right? And right. so I think there is a translation. And the way I, I really like the way you talk about it because about DevOps, because when you talk about it, it's like there are a bunch of ideas, but mm-hmm. it's not like the continuous delivery books, the Bible, and you find the recipe. It's like right. you have to look at them and decide what applies and what doesn't that's apply. True. And, you know, it, it is like Agile in that regard. But I think Agile made the mistake of take what works for you and leave what doesn't work for you. And a lot of companies took the really easy stuff and didn't do the really hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And DevOps, I think, doesn't do that. It, there are certain things that's like you will not be successful if you don't have these sort of things. And culture is one of them. If you have the developers can throw over the walls of the QA people and that's just and that's fine in your organization, you're not going to be very successful at DevOps, mm-hmm. right? And they're, and they're very sort of forward about that. So I actually think that's probably where where we're moving i mean on the release engineering side people talk about i'm sure you've heard this the button and that's always the mm-hmm. the button right we, we push the button the deploy button mm-hmm. they people want that right. no matter what the application is they want that right and so right. translating those ideas in sustainable ways whether it's nuclear power plant or an iphone app or a client mm-hmm. application or something that mixes both where you have full continuous delivery mm-hmm. on one side see that's interesting because you, you 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 bring up the the value of release engineering and I, I think this is something that people look at in all jobs the value is is the translation the value is the the architecture rethinking hey um you know what is our release strategy or what is what are the constraints of our of our business what are the the mechanisms that have to happen there. I think the the downside is, or the downside, but I think what has to change is I think release engineering, like QA, has to get out of the business of doing. I think that it's become a problem of, when you put the DevOps moniker on it, you're kind of band-aiding over the, the real problem, which is you've your process has created a man-in-the-middle situation where you're actually now relying on somebody else. I mean, it's like in office space, yeah. You know, what do you do here? Well, I, I take the reports from the developer and I put them there. And I got to admit, to the business, it starts to sound like that. It's like, well, right. okay, so what value does release en- was, does release engineering add to the business? Right? Well, and, 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 and that's why I think the thing is that the actual, the labor of doing a release and being the release person in the middle doesn't add value to, to the business. What does add value is all of that intelligence, all of that experience that you've gained over the years as to what could go right, what could go wrong, how can we handle this? Turn that into an architecture role. I mean, it's the same thing we, you know, we noticed what's going on with, with QA. That 
Then I think this is, you know, Luke Kinnis had this thing where he, you know, he used to go around the early days before he was just, his puppet was just starting. He said, if you think your job is to put a CD into a, in, into a server, like you should be fired. Like yeah. you don't belong here. And, and I think that same knowledge has to be translated to other, and Ops went through that. Ops went through that, what are we here for, come to Jesus moment, where they said, you know, geez, we're going to have to rethink what our, what, what we do, right? We're going to have to really come forward and say, we got to step up our game. And we're going to have to think, how can we provide, and, and if we're the guys that have to make all the changes by hand, we're screwed because we're behind the eight ball. We're now the bottleneck. So let's get rid of that bottleneck. Let's infrastructure as code. Great example of let's create a system where we let people define what they want of this stuff that we run around racking and stacking and plugging and, plugging and cabling. Let's, let's extract the value of what, of what we do and put it into a tool or put, you know, you know, let other people, other people use it. I feel like you know QA is going through that same issue now. Crisis of right, which is crisis. Right, which is like it shouldn't be. Wait a minute, very little test happens. Goes to QA, they spend some time figuring out how to make this thing work. Then they write a bunch of tests. Then right when they're getting good, the buzzer goes off. They have to push it off to production because that's the that's the release schedule and sign off and pretend like they've caught everything. When the reality is, wait, wait, wait a minute. What if we take ourselves and, and move ourselves into more of an architectural and toolsmith role? We spent all of our time, number one, coming up with new ways to test and protect these systems. Number two, teaching other people in the organization who actually are closest to this activity how to create the tests to make this, this system go. And then number three, enforcing, you know, that enforce, doing enforcement, make sure that the standards are being maintained. This is, this is all happening and continuously improve. Like, wow, imagine how much value then we're adding. All of our time is going into adding value to the business. None of our time is going into this man in the middle busy work. And, and I think that's you know one of the evolving, and maybe we go back to tying things back to, the, to, to one of your early questions about people being upset about DevOps. I think a large part of it is they, they feel squeezed like it's coming for their position. Like, you know, oh, it's, it's trying to get rid of the role of the release engineer. I think if you look in the high performing or, organizations, the architecture and the tooling and the experiential knowledge of release engineering is even more valuable. But all the stuff that's not adding value to the business, the actual doing, the actual babysitting the build and and operationalizing things and you know making sure dependencies are correct and then going out and you know actually doing the deployment and unraveling all the problems and going and calling the person who wrote something that didn't work quite correctly, all of that busy work we gotta get rid of because that's not unlocking more of that value for the company. You're stuck doing that work. So I believe that that's one of the things that I think is it really has to come to the forefront is in the DevOps movement is that explanation of this is not trying to get rid of these positions. This is trying to let you go back to John Willis. He calls the 80-20 flop. You just spend 80 spend 80% of your time, you know, mucking around in the mud and 20% of your time doing something that adds value. He wants to do the 80-20 flop where you're spending 80% of your time right. doing stuff that's high value to the business. And 20% of the time, you know, mucking around in that. Well, and it's funny you say that because a, a lot of times my response to that is too, there's a lot of, there used to be a lot of release engineers in the robes in the in the corner of the building doing their thing. Uh, the quintessential example is integration engineer. We're going to hire a guy that all he does is merges in the source control tool. That's his only job, right? right. Or, you know, I was recently talking with someone who had a big company and mm-hmm. they'd been there for 12 years and their job for 12 years had been to maintain Z-Shell on some proprietary Unix. Mm-hmm. That was his only job, right? Yeah. And uh, so, and he was a release engineer. 
and it's like you know functional specials functional specials right right and so so when people are saying i'm frustrated it's like well you need to take your robe off and come out of the cathedral yeah right and and start there's a flip side to that i think also release engineering is the canary in the coal mine there's problems that are being caused in other parts of the organization it's maybe how operations maybe you know like 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 operations builds all their servers slightly differently. So everything, no, no two systems are the same or right. stuff's not as expected. Developers create these, you know, they don't actually think through deployment. They just give you a bunch of stuff tell you to, to unpack it and figure it out, right? Well, when the business comes down and says, why isn't stuff moving faster, right? They look into this, they look and say, well, it's all breaking there. And they point their finger at the release engineering because you are you know, like like a Lucille Ball on the chocolate factory line. You're stuffing in your mouth going, holy shit. Like it keeps coming, it's problems, and it's not your fault. Right. But you get blamed. But we're the face right. of it, right? Because you're yep. the canary in the coal mine. Like yep. you fall over dead, and everyone's like, "We need a stronger. We need. A, we, we need. A, we, we need a. You know, like when the canary dies in the coal mine, we don't say we need a better canary, right? <laughs> right? They're like, well, maybe more canaries. More canaries, right? It's it's yeah. We, only we can hire five more canaries, all our problems would would go away. No, you got to go find this freaking gas leak, and you got to solve the problem. The problem where it's at, and, and and think that's or just get the hell out of the, out of the coal mine. Yeah, but I think you know, and that's one of the areas that, that that I think the release engineering position feels a bit under under attack, and it's unfortunate. But that's part of the educational part of the DevOps thing is saying that look, the reason why so much of your job exists is because it's so, somebody thought, some, yeah, somebody thought it was a better idea to say, well, just write the code because your value is writing the code, and then you check it in and somebody else will deal with it, all those problems. You're catching their waste. You're catching their scrap right. and operational, fixing it, adding some, you know, when the reality is that's how it should have been created in the first place. There was a, one of the classic lean stories, um, actually John, John Wilson says it again, give John another shout out. He's great for reading all the uh, old classic lean text. And he talked about when Toyota first came to America, they did a joint venture and building cars and they watched these guys build doors and they take it off the door line they build all these doors real fast. And then they go to the next, they get wheeled these big carts to the, to the next thing. And the guy pulls out a tape measure and starts measuring the doors. And then they put them on the car. And it's like this person was just sitting there measuring doors to go on the car. The Japanese are like, who is that person? It's like, he measures the doors. Make sure they fit. And they, and they said, well, why don't you just make sure you build, come out right. build doors that come out right? As soon as it comes out, slap it on a car, it doesn't work, we stop the line. We literally, they literally stop the line and say, all, all production stops. We're going to find out why these doors aren't being made properly. And because of that, the proof, the historical proof is there that they build organizations that can run circles around the kind of functional siloed static mass production mass production systems. And that's why we go back to these lean stories is because of like, you take that and you translate that and you go, well, wait a minute, why why am I spending all my time measuring doors? Why don't I just get the developers to make make the software operations ready? Make sure before it even comes anywhere you even see it, it's been, the deployment's been tested, the configuration's been tested, you know it's gonna snap, how it's gonna snap into the environment. They specify that because you set it up that way for them. And then now operations, they press the button, they they promote things into their repository, they see the deployment happen, and you can now think about whatever the next hard problem is the organization has to has to end instead of spending our time running around measuring doors. So last question, very sure. briefly, what do you think is DevOps growing edges? Where what do you think it needs to kind of improve on internally, culturally, yeah. or whatever? And and where do you think it's going in the next? That's a really good question. Yeah. So I think expect the well, if we follow the lean sort of world. And what happened there in manufacturing, mm-hmm. you had a lot of early success stories and 
amazing results, right? And I think we've got those now. You look at like the, the Etsy's, the Wealthfronts, the you know the Netflix, even the Amazon at scale, right? Wow, it was great. So let's just go and recreate those tools ourselves. Get the Bible, right? The, the Bible, right? The vendors, the Bible says, yeah, better yeah, We'll just buy the let's buy the, buy the DevOps, right? Let's buy the DevOps, <laughs> and we're gonna have all those results. So we're gonna see that period of I think start to get a bit of a backlash. I think they'll be failed. People will buy the DevOps and there'll be failed DevOps implementations. That's coming. That's true. I need a new word for it, like fail offs or <laughs> fail offs, yeah, that's, or... that's coming. Well, no, <laughs> I, I don't think we need a new word for it. I think we need to realize that this is something, and I think that's going to also... That's what to expect because that's what Right. So that's problem one. I think problem two is the over overcomplication of things. I think people are going to, there's a, people underestimate how, so I think there's an issue of people, this happened in, again in the, in the lean world that... Uh, the first big move that people that got people when they started doing mass production, you have this mass this this factory where you have stations that produce mass numbers of these parts. Then you have a central warehouse where you put everything, right? And then you they said, well, this is too complex, so they start building computers, complex you know computer systems, is, is MRP programs, and this manufacturer resource manufacturing resource planning. Right. Oh, like ERP and like manufacturing. But that came later, right? Yeah. That was because MRP fell off. We thought the way. So it was like an MRP system, and let's build more and more complex computers to coordinate all this scheduling. Right. Then the computer won't quite get it, so people running around the factory floor with clipboards called expediters trying to like match things up because it didn't match up to the way their business came in, right? So all this batching and queuing, all this stuff was happening, and it's created a big mess. Now the early people who got the culture shift used those systems beautifully like black and decker i think and some other folks these classic case studies of where they just it just I mean the profitability skyrocket customer satisfaction skyrocket quality number you know parts and everything was just was going great but then the other ten thousand companies that followed them a lot of them felt most of them fell on their face because they just bought the tools and so i said well we need more complex software and more complex software mrp is not working so let's go bigger and make it erp and i, I feel like that is a problem that we're going to be facing when it comes to the tooling and it comes to that people who come into the DevOps movement and say, ah, I see what Wealthfront or Etsy or Amazon does, Netflix. I'm just going to take those tools and smash them together and right. Copy repo, you know, and make it, make it, make it happen. And then that's going to, those tools are going to be my tools and my, all my problems are going to be solved. When that doesn't work, I'm going to get a bigger tool and a bigger tool and a bigger tool. And I think that the complexity of what we're building is going to be an issue. So I, I think that you know what's going to have to happen there. I think is is a movement towards simplicity to say that we need to actually simplify what we're doing as a cultural value. Yeah, simplify our system, simplify our organizations, simplify our processes, simplify our, our application infrastructures. Now we're building things. Simplify, simplify, simplify to get this this better result. So uh, I don't know if that was really a straightforward answer. But yeah, that's how I see things. Uh, so we end all the interviews on the ship show with our, are you uh, familiar with Inside the Actor Studio, that the interview they do at the end? Oh, yeah. What's, on, your favorite, what's your favorite? Yeah. What's your favorite swear word? Yeah, so, yeah, we have our own. So, oh, okay. yeah, PC yeah. or Mac? Oh, Mac. Okay. Well, actually, you know, yeah, Mac. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the PC have their place, but yes, I, 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 I like stuff that, that works. <laughs> VI or Emacs? Uh, VI, because I don't do a lot of... Uh, stuff and code so okay. it works roughly i know the emacs people like alex my colleague and business partner he uh he, you know he's an emacs he's guy an emacs totally yeah. nice, but vi is the only one i really know how to use so there you go what's your favorite programming language um the one that gets the job done what's your favorite tool or program two 
Well, the co- it's a combination. I mean, it's, it's a little self-serving, but the combo of run deck and rerun, it's unbelievable. The simplicity of what you can get get done is uh, it's quite amazing. It's great to see people do it. So what's a tool, program, or language you'd be happy if it had never been invented? Ooh. Um, ooh, that's a good, happy never been invented. You know, I, you know, I don't have that kind of anger inside me. So I don't, <laughs> How about I what you don't like? Uh, yeah, I think the monolithic... You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the monolithic system management thing tools that are out there. They, you know, okay. the, the open views and the Tivoli right. and those things. Okay. I, I think they've created such a web of crap that people have to dig themselves out from under. And their only thought was, how can we sell people more tools? Right. Okay. What's your favorite curse word? Curse word? Uh, I mean, yeah, right. That's okay. everyone's favorite word. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Other than my own, I attempt. Uh, I want to own a professional football team. That's not be not be the general manager. I'll that'd be pretty cool too. Like, well, it's not a profession to be the owner. I just realized general manager you get fired. The owner would be cool because you do all that fun stuff and like play general manager. Yeah. But then fire somebody else at the when they start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking of that because the you know 49ers went the Super Bowl. Oh right. So, right. Seems right. like a pretty cool. Seems like a pretty cool yeah. gig. That it's cool gig. Gen, gen, gen if you can does. get it. Yeah. You know, I wish I wish my I wish my parents would have. Founded a football team or something would have been awesome. If heaven exists, what famous figure would you like to talk to when you arrive at the pearly gates, and what would you talk about? Or famous who? Famous figure. Famous figure. God, this is like steep stuff here, man. Uh, I should prepare for this. Famous figure. Who? I guess I'd say somebody historic, like uh, yeah, uh, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what joke. would you talk about? <laughs> you talk about puppeter. Um, aspect oriented <laughs> metadata management. No. Um, yeah, puppeter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> puppeter. You know, is it puppet or is it is it chef? Just you know, probably say CF engine. CF engine. Yeah, you probably would. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of, I think he's, it's Jesus is is OG like that. Yeah. 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 Damon, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks. And, and people can find DevOps Cafe at devopscafe.org DevOpsCafe.org. There. Yeah, it's a podcast. We're ram- John and I get guests and we ramble on just like we've been doing uh, today. Dev2Ops.org. D-E-V, the number two, O-P-S.org. Uh, predates the word DevOps. <laughs> <laughs> um, do a lot of blogging there and write about a lot of this stuff. Damon at DTO Solutions is where you can send hate mail. <laughs> awesome. Oh, and, and I'm just at Damon Edwards on Twitter. You can send hate mail there too. Great. Hate tweets. Hate tweets, Great. exactly. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been yeah. fun. We'll be back in a moment here on The Ship Show. All right, welcome back to The Ship Show. I'm Paul Reed. So for our last segment tonight, we're going to do a book review of a book that uh, I just finished reading. It's called Design as a Job. It's by Mike Montero. And if that name's familiar, he's uh, Mike underscore FTW, as in for the win on Twitter. And he's hilariously inappropriate. He also did a talk that was very famous called you pay me. We'll link to it in the show notes. That is definitely a must watch for uh, anyone doing consulting work. I wanted to do a review of the book because he's approaching it from a, a kind of a design consulting sphere. So if you are a consultant of any kind, DevOps, uh, release engineering, uh, even a developer that's doing consulting, you really should grab the book. It's funny. I mean, you'd expect this. The book itself is, is beautiful, but it's a quick read too. And it's got a lot. It's just like jam full of useful information, including stuff like sticking to your process and adding 
advocating, you know, as a consultant, developing process and then advocating to the client why sticking to it is important. He talks about managing feedback. There's a big section on choosing the right clients. And I know, Sasha, I'm sure as a consultant, you know, we've all run into that, you know, learning lesson about what are the yellow and red flags when choosing clients. Right. He talks a bit about honesty and, and when things are your fault and how to deal with that. So he goes uh, into detail about it. And he talks about if you're going to go into consulting, if you're currently thinking about that and you want a, a good overview of all of the issues that you're going to have to really think about and deal with, it's a great book for that. One of the things that I think is most useful, even if you're not doing consulting, it's still worth the read. He goes into a section about caddy designers is the phrase he uses. And he talks about how bus drivers, you know, you, if if you're riding the bus, you know, you see they wave to each other or cabbies are the two examples he gives, will wave to each other. Uh, and he was saying, you know, he's sure that there are a lot of other jobs where people that are doing that job like... Oh, uh, truck you know, drivers are huge with that, exactly. right? I mean, truck drivers and CBs, they're legendary. Yep. yep. And so the example he gives is like, why are designers so catty to each other? And I thought it was interesting because if you look at it from DevOps engineers especially, uh, and that's a great bit of like the DevOps community, it's like, why are developers just jerks? to the ops guys? Why are ops guys jerks to the release engineers or to QA or whatever? And he actually talks about dude, that is not okay. Like, we need to treat each other with respect. And the tone in his book is very much, you'll, if you read his Twitter account or, or look at any of the work he's done, his tone really comes through in the book, which makes it a fun read, too. He, you know, like, he actually cusses in the book because that's just who he is, and it's, it's, it's good. But, but he brings up that point. He's like, I will be very angry if, as a designer, you treat other designers like crap. And I think that's a great takeaway. Uh, and, and he actually goes into a lot of times in design firms uh, or in situations where he gets hired, there may already be a designer involved. And he talks about a lot of times they're going to be adversarial or defensive because he's coming in as a design firm. And it's, so he talks actually about how to deal with that. And so I think it's actually a, a great read to uh, look at that issue. And then also, like I said, in the DevOps space, th that whole bit about breaking down the silos and not treating each other like crap is, is a really good. His discussion of it's really good. So Does he tell you how to deal with prima donnas? Because that's something I really want to know. <laughs> you know, he, he actually does. Hey. This. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> no, I'm not insinuating anything. I'm, I'm <laughs> no, he actually, no, he, he does uh, talk a bit about how to deal. In fact, there's an entire chapter. Let me, chapter 10. It's the last one working with others. That <laughs> chapter, he actually uh, he actually talks about how designers see engineers. And so he actually attacks that problem head, head on. And so really, it's kind of funny. He actually looks at marketing people. And he, he kind of goes through the list of roles that you're going to have to deal with. And he kind of talks about these are the people you're going to have to interact with. And here's what they do. And here's often like what they're worried about. And so you need to be attuned to that. And so that's why I say even if you're not going into consulting or thinking about going into consulting, that treatment of that topic is actually really useful. So definitely a, a good read. You can grab it uh, at bookapart.com. I think they have digital copies of it too, so you can get it for your Kindle. But uh, like I said, the, the book itself is actually really beautiful, so I got the hard copy. So I wanted to give a shout-out again. We have our events calendar up and running. You can get to it at theshipshow.com slash events. It's got conferences and talks. We're actually updating that pretty much weekly. If you have a conference or talk that is not on there, go ahead and tweet us or send us an email, crew at theshipshow.com. We will get it on the list. Uh, and if you're looking for, like, you 
know, what conferences are coming up. Uh, I actually just went and put all the DevOps days around the world on there. I need to actually make sure I have all of them because I think there's a new DevOps. There's always new DevOps days coming up. So all that stuff is there. You can you go ahead and take a look and see what DevOps or release engineering conference is right for you. So from San Francisco, this is Paul Reed signing off. From Minneapolis, this is Sasha Bates signing off. From Austin, Texas, this is Seth signing off. From San Diego, this is Yusuf signing off. And we'll see you all in a couple of weeks.